just drinking in my car all the time because I was, you know, just hiding it. I just can't do this anymore. Like, I'm just gonna, I need help. I just stopped fighting. I stopped fighting everything. And it was at that point that I, I surrendered. Inside myself, I'm so much happier and so much better for having gotten sober. I'm Anthony. And I'm Tyson. We're recovering addicts. This is a podcast about journeys from the darkness of addiction to the sunlight of sobriety. Right now, this is funny. (laughs) No, I agree. It's weird to me that people just don't generally apply good etiquette anyway. Just because you're on camera and at home doesn't mean you can pick your nose people can see you for christ's sake like get it together i invested i mean this is like how ridiculous i am i got like a tiktok light so i didn't look like an addict on the aa meetings (laughs) (laughs) because the lighting was so bad until i got this tiktok light now it's it's fantastic What's up with this TikTok light? I want to get some of that. It's like this dumb, my kids told me about it. It's like this circular light. So you, it like front, it lights you from the front, not the back. Ah. You can just get it on Amazon. Wow. I'll take what I can get. I mean, are you an affiliate for this light? <laughs> no, it's like a $25 light, but I, I, I highly recommend it. Huh. I need it. I, I didn't even know that something like that existed. I, I, I should... I should know that, but I don't because I can use all the lighting I can get. I mean, because Jenny, I got to tell you, I look a hell of a lot different than I did back at Iowa. I look like I have been road hard and put away very wet. Got a real face <laughs> for radio. I, yeah. I, thought, I just saw you for like one second when you got on this thing. You Were you horrified? Yeah, no. I, like, I, I feel, I just feel <laughs> so much older i guess i don't know how to describe it i mean i'm damn near 50 i'll be 50 very very soon and it's just i feel like i'm wearing it well i mean i don't because it's all those like menthol cigarettes you smoke (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly right i I said jenny used to give me shit about the i used to smoke cool miles and it used to drive her fucking crazy yeah because i hated buying cigarettes and then when i had to bum them off you it was just like like, a menthol i know like it wasn't my first choice (laughs) i was kind of like you i had a phase where i was like dabbling in menthols but then i realized it really gave me a terrible hangover so i went back to my good old parliaments oh i like parliaments yeah. The, well, I started out like everybody, right? I did the whole Marlboro light box, the whole thing. And then I, tri- I I ran out of cigarettes one time and my uncle Gary smoked cool mild. So I bummed a couple from him. And next thing you know, they literally had a buy to get one free deal. So I started <laughs> buying cool milds because I, you know, didn't have any money. And I, so <laughs> I transitioned and I rolled the menthol wave. All the way through. I the only change I made was I went to Parliament Menthol Lights. And oh. the best thing about that for my habits, as you might know, is they've got like a little filter that's uh pushed in a little bit. Yeah, so you can it do makes, coke. Yeah, so I could do <laughs> I could do scoops of blow and and it was great. It worked like a charm. And then sometimes I forget which one I was banging. So <laughs> I would put the cigarette in my mouth and light it and my lips would get numb. And it was kind of a Doublement pleasure. I'm not promoting any tricks of the trade or this isn't gladiator sure. school, but anyone that does blow knows if you've got P-Funks, you're ripping fucking blow out of your P-Funks. Well, Whenever I, you forget who you, you know, which one you're banging, that's always interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Exactly. Well, uh, Tyson, you can probably tell Jenny and I know each other for, gosh, a hell of a long time. It's been a long time. It really has. We are Hawkeyes together back in the day, and we spent many, many, many a night and weekend and after our rampaging our way through University of Iowa, which is fantastic. So I will tell you, Anthony, because of all those shots of Rumplemans that you made me drink, I'm not joking. <laughs> I cannot, I can't use peppermint toothpaste. Like I have to use spearmint or um, like bubble gum because I, I'm like having aversion to peppermint. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's I, funny because I, 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 yeah, I'm the same way. Like I, couldn't touch the shit that in Sambuca, I drank myself out of both of those oh. in college and I can't touch them anymore. Not that I, I mean, I haven't had, a, I haven't touched anything in a couple of years, but when I was back in it, I couldn't touch it because of the gag reflex was brutal on both of those. I could barely choke them down. Yeah. I, those are, those are some memories. I um, remember I just real, we're recording, but, and I love how this is going, but how many tables do you think that we crashed through <laughs> at the union front bar dancing to Chumbawamba? I mean, I don't know, but whenever, like to this day, you're the person I think of when I hear that song, not that it plays very often, but like <laughs> random time it does. I, I go, I go right back to the union front bar. <laughs> It's funny, Tyson. We were, I don't even know what night of the week it was. It doesn't matter. But we, we didn't, at the union, I worked there. We didn't have the disc to play that song. And a friend of ours, a friend of Jen, Jenny's, went and got, ran over and bought it, brought it back. And we played it on repeat. I am not even kidding you. We probably <laughs> played it 15 times in a row. That's we great. did. Wait, so how <laughs> do you two know each other? Am I, is that okay that I ask? You no, cannot no. ask. It's top secret. It is. So we actually work together in corporate America. I'd like to keep uh, the name of the corporate, yeah, yeah. But, but he and I work together in corporate America and became fast friends once we sniffed each other out as addicts do. And um, we realized we have a lot in common and we both wanted to help people, you know, get out of the darkness into the sunshine, if you will. So, yeah. Nice. Well, I think it's a good thing. Um, I really, I like really have a hard time sharing. Um, I like, I do go to AA and, you know, they always say like, if someone asks you to share, you have to say yes for two years. I've been saying no. So it was, I was, my sponsor was like, so she was very excited that I'm doing this podcast. So hopefully, That's good, though. hopefully it will help someone. I love it, and it will. Um, and that's the thing. I've got we've gotten really good feedback from people that we know and don't know um, about it being helpful. Um, and I don't ask to what extent because I don't think that's an appropriate question for me to ask. But I do know that the feedback we have gotten and kind of the the network response, if you will, has been really, really good because it's it's addicts helping addicts, which is the only way to go. I mean, if you haven't been through this stuff, it's tough to teach it from a textbook. In fact, I think it's impossible. You know, I, I believe that you have to have lived and breathed it and survived it to help others get through it too. A hundred percent. I mean, I think, I mean, I, cause I, as a nurse, I would classify it as like some, as a form of mental illness. And I just think it's like really hard to relate to any, unless you have had some experience with it. Because I know myself, like before I, 
like went to treatment, you know, I'd like hear stories of like a heroin addict that died and then they were Narcans. And then like the next day they were using again and I get so angry. And I was like, what? I mean, you died. Why are you using again? And then it all like clicked into place once I went through it. So. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in, in, I, that's a good point too. I mean, when people do step, you know, back into the darkness, whatever that means to them, I think that I know that I did because you know, you, we all try to knock it over a couple of different ways, a couple of different times. And I've tried to put the blow down before and I've been successful the past year and a half, two or two and a half years now. When I went back, I hit it as hard where on my, you know, when I kind of dipped my toe back into the water, like I was, when I was, you know, going crazy with it and, you know, you don't hit an alligator tail a blow when you haven't hit any blow in a month or two, it'll fuck you up <laughs> bad. I don't so, know what that means, but I'm going to go with it. Yeah, I, I love that. that. I've never heard that before. I love it. I feel like Anthony brought that from LaSalle, Peru. <laughs> yeah. That's from that's from Anthony's neighborhood. I don't know what yeah. neighborhood, but it's from his yeah. neighborhood. It's that's right. The guy in the corner taught it to me. And uh, <laughs> it's crazy. But yeah, I mean, so Jenny, I mean, I I maybe we can just get into kind of the transitional stuff, like where drinking was and, you know, the transition. Yeah, I want to know how it all started, though. Like, I mean, like before Anthony, what was your, you know, what you guys met at Hawkeye, you know, world at the University of Iowa. But like, what was your your upbringing like? Did you have an a, a association with alcohol when you were a kid? I mean, not really. I had like a very, I thought, normal upbringing. You know, my parents drank, but no one, well, my mom and stepdad drank. My dad never drank because I guess his dad was an alcoholic. So he just never did. I knew my grandfather, but not, he had already stopped drinking when I met him. So I didn't see anyone like drinking alcohol. My problem is alcohol. Um, I don't have, I never had Me too. Okay, my I didn't have I really like have done very little drugs, so mine is really just alcohol. Right, yeah. um, so I don't know. It really just started like you know in high school. I I mean I didn't like beer when I first tried it freshman year, and then I don't know everyone that was cool was going to the parties, so you know that's yeah. where I wanted to be. So I started to I don't know if I liked it, but I started to drink. You know very occasionally in high school, like whenever anyone could, could get someone to buy it for them or like, yeah. I mean, some, there were places we would go to like Howard street um, by the L station and they would sell to like underage people. But anyway, um, it started (laughs) out like very normal. That's very important though. That's I mean, I think mine was very similar to that. So I love hearing that stuff. Yeah. Gigi Peppers on Howard street. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> What's the address? Yeah, hilarious. I wonder if it's still there. Are JJ Peppers still around? Because I know, like White Fence Farms are, go- or rather, the the not White Fence Farm, the but the White the Hen. They- White Hen. Yeah, those are all gone. Are, are JJ Peppers still around? I don't even. Remember. I don't even. I haven't seen one in God. I don't even know how long. I haven't lived in Chicago for so long, so I, I guess I can't say. I know, like, I don't know what's there anymore. Yeah, isn't fair enough. Fair enough. Um. So yeah, then it just like went into college and. I mean, I certainly drank more frequently in college. And I would say that I was always 
more extreme than everyone else. I prided right. myself on like being the like party girl. Any time anyone wanted to go out, like they could call me and I would, I'd always be able to go out. Like, you know, yeah. every time Anthony I did um, tequila shots, like I would not <laughs> let him use the training <laughs> wheels. You weren't allowed to have lime and salt. That's and right. So I don't know. I mean, I, I really like took pride in being able to like, drink like the guys and I like go out and I would still like get up and go to class and I, you know, did well. Um, but in hindsight, I'd say like looking back now, I just think it was a bit extreme. I was like the one that I was always getting arrested for underage drinking and like <laughs> putting myself into trouble more yeah. than the average college person. And that whole same like drinking and going out like as much as I could that continued right. on like through my twenties. And then it slowed down when I got married and had kids, I really didn't drink at all. And there was like a good decade pause where wow, I didn't, I, yeah, roughly. Or my, maybe good. I'm over exaggerating. I like after this like quarantine I, time. Like I can't. I don't even like know time. Well, let's see. Let's let's land it. I think you had us right there on the timeline. You were at college essentially, and then you you graduated. And you said you kept kind of going into the twenties, and then well, how old were you when you got married? So I was twenty eight, and then. Yeah. And at that time, like when we were just married, I mean, I didn't go out as much, but you know, the, the times I, I was like, a, I turned into like, just like a binge drinker. I mean, I always was, but it was less nights a week. I had my first child at 30. And so I would say it was a five-year pause. So I had my first child at 30, didn't really drink all that much. And then I got divorced when I was 36. And that's sort of when like all the wheels came off. I like I was married to a narcissist getting divorced from a narcissist was like the worst thing. I mean, I'm not blaming him for the increase in my drinking, because certainly people go through a lot worse traumas in life than just like getting divorced from a narcissist. They're all very valid, though. I get it. I, mine was similar. I just didn't, I guess I didn't learn the, I never learned the pro proper like coping mechanisms as yeah. in my youth. And, yeah. you know, like in college, yeah. whenever I'd like be sad or like I'd break up with someone or whatever, what I would do is like, I would like go get drunk and hook up with someone. And that was like the advice I gave to everyone. Like, oh, right. like, you broke up with someone, You we're going out and like, we're going to find you someone to hook up with. And right. like, like, Sage like, advice. Totally. Yeah. So when like real problems happened, like dealing with a divorce and I mean, my kids were really young when I got divorced, that coping strategy, I mean, I did it. But I wouldn't say it was like successful in trying to heal from the divorce, and um, as a like as a result, that actually just like worsened everything. So I just had like everything just started getting like messier, and then I don't know. I met then after being divorced for a few years, then I met someone else who like a we were friends for a long time and then he became a boyfriend. And then, um, so I feel like, again, my drinking kind of slowed down. I mean, 
because I was like happy in this relationship. So I didn't need to like drink and do all that to make myself happy. Right. So that was, you know, so then it slowed down again for like a year or so until like, I mean, like every relationship, it doesn't stay, you know, like new and without problems forever. So sure. Yeah. So when we started having some problems, then I'd see my drinking progressed again. But at that time, um, I had my my boyfriend to like alert me to the fact that he didn't think my drinking was healthy and might be a problem. And I feel for two years of us being together, well, two of the years we were together, he was, you know, telling me that my drinking was a problem. And I just didn't see it. I, you know, I would do these challenges, like I'd take a month off or I'd have a dry January. And then I'd be like, well, I can't be an alcoholic if I cannot, you know, drink for a month. And I was always comparing myself to, you know, just what people normally think of alcoholics, like homeless. And, you know, I was comparing myself to that. And I was, you know, a functioning mom of three kids. And I've, I've always had like a career and, you know, I wasn't, there just wasn't any like big, there weren't any big problems. It was really just mm-hmm. within my relationship and him pointing out that, um, you know, he didn't think what I was doing was healthy. So anyway, that went on, we eventually got married and then, um, but another, like another in hindsight, looking back, there's a, a red flag, like on our wedding night, I mean, we just had a small wedding with our kids on our wedding night, like I made my mom cry because I was so drunk and mean to her and I threw up. And like, I don't think that is like a memorable wedding night <laughs> in a good way. Well, it depends who you ask. No, yeah. no, I, I, I get it though. I mean, Jenny, it's funny how many guests of ours have been on the show and I was the same way. I would compare myself. I'm not bad because that person I would find people to point at that I thought were bad, whatever that meant. And then I would justify where I was saying, fine, I'm okay. No matter if it was, you know, drugs or alcohol. I did the same thing in countless guests that have been on the show and have said the exact same thing where we use a comparison that works for us to justify what we're doing. And I, I, I'm not going to speak for Tyson, but I'm going to guess that he had the. Please do. Because yeah, I was, I was about to speak for myself. I was literally the king of that. I did the exact same thing that you did. I, I was divorced when I was 30, officially when I was 32 and a half, because I was too drunk for a couple of years to really make it down to the courthouse and finalize it all. But um, you know, it, it was the same thing with me where, you know, she would say things like that and I would go, Oh, I took a month off. I t- there was times when I took even, you know, like three months off or, um, you know, and I would always point to that, Hey, I'm not, at least I'm not that guy. Right. And I would, you know, I would just always be able to find someone who in that moment apparently was, you know, the alcoholic, not me. Yeah. And I also, um, would I found myself gravitating towards people like I'd make like a new work friend or a new friend here or there who was always like a little bit more drunk than me like so right. I I like continued to make these friends with people who appeared to be much more of like a hot mess because then I could <laughs> yep. continuously like check myself against them I got to a point where I made a deal and was like you know it was like I don't know, January 
And I said, I, I think it was like, if I don't get my drinking under control by March 1st, then um, I'll go to rehab. And so, I mean, March 1st was chosen because we had a trip planned to Napa. And I wasn't going to like go to Napa or miss my trip to Napa. I wasn't going to go to yeah. Napa and not drink or miss it. So I said March 1st. But unfortunately, in that time period, I would say I had my rock bottom moment or the first of them when I was, you know, at a business on a business trip at a conference, I ended up drinking, blacking out and cheating on my husband, having sex with someone and not remembering it. Even like, I mean, I woke up the next day and just like had no memory, no memory of like being at the bar and stuff. And I was just sick because I really loved my husband. But, and so like, that was something I just never thought would happen, never planned to do. And so, you know, that it was that moment that I was like, I mean, I like can't even control myself. Um, and I knew I needed to get help. So um, that morning I was like trying to get back to the train to come back home from New York City. And, you know, I was like wandering around Times Square. And I think of it now, it was like all like a haze. And I was trying to like call this rehab center I had seen on TV and got an appointment for the next week. And, you know, I was like, because <laughs> I mean, I'm a nurse and so like covering my bases as buying morning after pills and Starbucks and like doing all this to get on the train to go home. And it was just, it was the worst like morning ever. And the, you know, the train rides a few hours and I got on the train and was like, I'm never drinking again. And then literally like an hour into the train ride, someone had a beer and I was like, Oh, I, I think I kind of want a beer. And I mean that at that point I just knew it was like hopeless so, yeah, I, we ended up going to Napa. Then I like, you know, came clean about everything and mm. went, went to an IOP. So I kind of just blew up. What's, a, what's an IOP? Oh, sorry. Um, what is it? An intensive outpatient program. So rather oh, okay. than going to, rather than going to an inpatient rehab, um, mm. they, they suggested you that I do that. And I would go to, um, the facility from, I don't know, roughly like four to eight each day, five oh, yeah. days a week. So I think the thought process is that you sort of like alter your routine because you're there for four hours of the day, but you know, it's not severe enough that you have to live in the facility. Um, and yeah, I mean, rehab was eye opening. It was like, I was in with a bunch of people that, I mean, some were like me, a lot weren't. And I, like a total nerd, like showed up at rehab with my notebook and I like took notes and I was going to learn everything about addiction and alcoholism and I was just going to like win. And yeah. I mean, I did do okay during the 30 day rehab. I stayed sober and you know, then they made suggestions for what to do once the program started. And they're, they're always the suggestions were like, get a sponsor and go to AA. And, you know, I just thought I was smarter than everyone and didn't really like, I just like couldn't buy into the AA program. Like I'm not religious. And I mean, I never 
I didn't really give it a, a shot. I like prejudged it and just sort of decided that wasn't for me. So I was going to like take my sobriety and like, you know, be in charge of it. Stayed sober for a couple months. I don't like really remember exactly. And then like one day I was at Whole Foods after being sober for a couple months, three months. I was just like walking and saw like all the IPA cans out of the corner of my eye. And they were like so bright and colorful. And I mean, I didn't even think about it. I just bought one, like a six pack and just started drinking in the car. Oh, I kind of going backwards. I forgot about that part when my drinking got really messy. I mean, I was like just drinking in my car all the time because I was, you know, just hiding it. And um, I'd like leave work and like just start like drinking and throwing beer cans out like on the street or I'd like stop at a, you know, gas station and like unload all these cans. I mean, it really wasn't normal. Yeah. Like, right. you know, always have my like hydro flask or Yeti filled with like beer or wine. And that was going to like, you know, like uh, events, like soccer games, like kids soccer games and the beach. And I don't know, it really did get like very messy. But anyway, so after my, now I have to go back forward to the Whole Foods, the beer and I drink and I mean, I felt guilty because it's different after you like are sober for a little bit and then you start drinking again. It's, it's not the same. It's not fun because there's a lot more, well, in my experience, there's just so much more guilt associated with it. And then I started like lying again to my husband. And that summer I drank like four times and it was messy. Like, I mean, each time that I drank, it was like, I mean, I was drunk. And then, um, you know, the third time he filed for divorce and then the fourth time, someone alerted a, like, DCYF worker to the fact that they thought I might be um, drinking and driving with my kids. And it was just, you know, like, someone had mentioned that. And so, like, I had a DCYF worker, like, investigate my situation and me and... I mean, then my narcissist ex-husband got involved in it. And it was really bad then. Because um, then, I'd, like, I had to have this breathalyzer that, you know, I had to, whenever I had my kids, I'd use the breathalyzer. I can't even remember. But it was, like, every yeah. few hours. And then before I, it wasn't one attached to the car. It was just, like, a portable one. So, you know, I had to um, do that every time, every so often. It, it was... It was after that last time when the like DCYF worker was involved that just something within me changed. And I, I mean, I know in AA they say like I surrendered. I still have a hard time with like some of the words, but you know, it was that I, it was my breaking point where I really was just like, I just can't do this anymore. Like I'm just gonna, I need help and I'm gonna, listen to everything. So it was at that point that there was like a big mind shift. That was like almost 22 months ago. So that I mean, I have Yeah, I'm, I'm coming up to two years. So at whatever that mind shift was, that I think is what helped. What was it? I mean, what, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you're you're in it right now, you're thinking about it? What was that moment like? Tell us? I mean, 
I would say I just, I think I just stopped fighting. I stopped fighting everything. I mean, yeah. there, there was always um, something that I would argue or think I just knew more. Um, and it was at that point that I, I surrendered. Um, and I just, then I found a sponsor, like they had told me to do, you know, six months before and found a sponsor. Um, I found a strict sponsor. So, you know, I'd gotten just so good at like lying. I mean, lying to other people, but mostly to myself. I mean, I, or not mostly, but I lied to myself equally as much. And that was not how I grew up, how, not necessarily how I was raised. I just was a really honest person, like too honest, you know? And well, I, I can actually vouch for that. Tyson. Yeah. Like I became a master liar, like an actor beyond, like, it was crazy. I could lie about everything and I knew how to connect oh, yeah. and give just enough truth to be real, but not enough fact to be fiction. If that makes, if, if you're a liar or a, an addict like me, you'll get that. And it, it it becomes your reality, and then to, to the moment where you surrender or you you give up in a good way. Um, I I think what people fail to realize is it isn't always a monumental event. In fact, most people I've talked to, it's it's everything and nothing at the same time. Like it it almost is like a deep breath that you just let fucking go, and it it's you, the void, it right? Like there's everything. that moment of just a void. Right. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Jen, I didn't mean to take over. No, I, I no, you it. didn't at all. But I mean, I agree with you because if I think of in my story, what my monumental moment would be, I always revert back to New York City. Um, but then I like still continued drinking. And I mean, I just I guess like I just wasn't ready to stop. I mean, I wanted to, but this wasn't willing to do everything I was supposed to do to make it be successful. It was more just sort of like doing the motions, but not really putting in the work. And so you think it was like during that period, the reason I asked, cause I, I was the exact same way where I had, you know, my big so-called should be rock bottom moments multiple times along the way and continued. And I think in even when I tell my story on the the original episode where I mentioned it, it's like, I'll get sober, but I need a beer first. I totally yeah. was just like, <laughs> like you, right? And in that, I did all this in New York City, just like you, there must be something about that place, right? It it really brings you to to the crossroads. But it was really interesting for me to hear yours because I always wondered that about myself. Like, why can't I get over the hill on this one. And I would do the same thing like you, where I would get to these points, maybe it'd be a month, two months, three months, whatever it would. And then I would come back and I would be drinking just like you said, and I wouldn't even be enjoying it. And I'd be like, I want to quit drinking. What am I doing? Like, and it would be worse and worse though. So it's so fascinating to hear your perspective because just like you, it was like, I knew I wanted to quit for so long and couldn't get it done. And then eventually it was just one day it, it clicked with me. Yeah. And yeah, when I was listening to your story, one thing that like that stuck out was when you were talking about not having kids or whatever. And I think you, mm. you, said you weren't married at the time, and you know you wonder if you would have stopped sooner if you know you had those things because you would have like stopped for them. And I like I really thought about that because I 
would I would have I wanted to stop like my husband wanted me to stop and I wanted to stop for him I wanted my second marriage to be like successful and I was happy I mean not healthy I mean clearly I was drinking but I mean I, I thought I was happy and so I it I guess like you have to the reasons for stopping have to be your own. Like you, you can't, yeah. I, I yeah. found with myself, I wasn't able to stop until that was like truly what I wanted. That's so true. I was, it, it, that is exactly what I thought too. And my, my sort of mantra is it was you the whole time until it was me, you know, it was me the whole time preventing the the stop as well. I was just unconscious of it, but you're so right is when I was incapable of doing it, I was always, like you said, do it for my ex-wife, for them. I really want to do it for all these people. My mother wanted me to do it. You know, my, everybody wanted me to do it. And, and I would sit there and it made sense intellectually. Yeah. You have to be, I don't know how to describe this any other way to anyone listening, except that you just have to be fucking done. Like I yes. was out on a Sunday, yeah. I Sunday fun day, right? Rampage drinking. Some, I blacked the fuck out. I didn't black out often, but I blacked out bad i woke up outside late october face down in the bushes next to my door with like i must have been pissing or something because my pants like were kind of undone a little bit but i cracked my head on the brick wall and woke up in the morning soaked in like the dew i'm guessing it might have been pissed who the fuck knows and call it dew and let's call it dew and i had cracked my head enough where the blood had dripped down my face not quite horror movie style but like when you looked in the mirror, I was like, what the fuck? And I had no memory of any of it. And this is late October, Chicago. Not, you know, for anyone not having been to Chicago, that's not a good time to pass the fuck out outside with your pants or on your fucking knees. And <laughs> I mean, as opposed to all the other good times. As opposed to yeah. all there the other good times. Opportunities. But it, a few it, good times. you know, quite frankly, like. Yeah, I woke up and I'm thinking, I got to get my shit together. What the fuck is wrong with me? And that was 10 years before I finally put it all down. So it, you don't know when that moment is going to come, but it comes when you're – It you never know. I, I could have easily – I was rampaging then, and it took me 10 more years to fucking get my shit together. So I guess what I'm saying is there's hope. It might take a while to get there, but you can do it. You got to just – It's so subtle, though. I think what you said, Anthony, and and – in your comment a few minutes ago is like, it's not this huge thing. And I feel that there's, if you're right now in that cycle, struggling, looking to either take your first step or maybe trying to get back into the sunshine. I know I would sit there and analyze my behavior at times when I was in that position. And I think that I expected it to be this huge event that this huge thing was going to happen to me. And then I would be able to, you know, be sober. And so I think that be okay with the fact that it, it's really a small change, like a tiny little subtle, you know, move in that perspective of understanding that just be, you're almost thinking the exact same way, but the slight difference is that you're doing it all for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And like it was, and also for me, it was like the fight just left and it's like yep. had no fight left. I, I really just didn't want to do that anymore. So yeah, I, I mean, I think I was very into statistics, like, you know, how many like people that go to IOP or whatever are successful. And 
I think, you know, for all the people that are court mandated to do a rehab program and, and uh, well, the success rates are low. I mean, you know, they're low for addicts. I just think when you're like mandated to do something like that, that's setting, you know, those people not up for success because I do think it has to come with it from within. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah, I think you'll set, you know, I think addicts are pretty stubborn for the most part and take what they need when they need it. And I think that you build up walls to fight the fight. So when somebody tells you to do something, don't have another drink, I'm having another fucking drink or whatever, whatever that is. Yeah. So I, I agree. So then I, just to transition into, into the sunshine side of this, how are things going now? I mean, almost two years later, it sounds like things are going wonderful. I know that there's some damage along the way, but I'm sure knowing you, you're doing a wonderful job getting things together and, everything you need to do to rebuild them the right way. So, well, thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's not, I mean, it hasn't been the easiest, you know, almost two years. Um, and you know, in this, my, like I've gone through a divorce and I mean, then there's like a period of like dating my ex-husband. So ultimately I just like got dumped again. There wasn't always happy times, but in inside myself, I'm so much happier and so much better for having, gotten sober because I mean if you had told me like three years ago that we were going to have a pandemic and I was ultimately going to spend three months alone like I mean I would never have believed that I could get through something like that and yeah I I, it's I'm gonna if it's okay I'm gonna ask you to share something that you and I talked about not on the while we were recording and you just, one thing that struck me the most that I've been thinking about a lot is how much time you spent alone now than you had collectively in the in your, your whole life prior to this moment. And, I, and I'm not trying to out you in that regard. I'm just saying that that's a really big piece, I think, for a lot of addicts and people in recovery that you have to learn to be okay with yourself on your own terms and, and just slow down. You know, that's a big piece. It is. I mean, I think a lot of people like drink or use, I mean, because they don't like themselves or they don't like parts of themselves. And so, yeah, to sit alone for a good portion of three months and spend all that time alone, I think it's good. I mean, I think definitely in recover- recovery has helped me to like accept myself more, like myself better. And I mean, that's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. And Were you everything. doing any new activities or any like new routines you found helpful that, that you could share with any of us? I know I'm always wanting to learn new things that, that might keep you on track. Um, I mean, my I just learned from my sponsor and she's really big into self-care. So, I mean, what I, does that mean? Uh, just doing things. I guess doing things for yourself and, and okay. really taking, taking some time and making it a priority. Um, for, it. I mean, for me being like a single mother of three, you know, I, my time is really like given to my kids and my mm. job. And so she was, you know, made me like carve out time, you know, how every day or every other day. And, and really like do something for myself. So I exercise regularly. For me, um, it like I, I run and um, I run more and I walk. Like Anthony, I could relate to you. Like I picture you walking around your neighborhood. Um, yeah. I take a lot of walks too. And I think in a way it's also like meditative. And I know that that 
um, you know, it's always suggested to pra- start practicing meditation and stuff. My, I haven't slowed my mind enough to take up meditation, but I do think like the walking and the running sort of clears my head. Um, I discovered I liked hot yoga. And yeah. then in the, uh, during my stay at home orders, I took up gardening, which again, I think was like, has been really therapeutic. My, like for myself, I just, it's difficult to like quiet my mind. And so all of those things that I just talked about, um, you know, just sort of like helped me slow down a little bit. I also reconnected with a lot of people that I had disconnected with when I was drinking so much. I mean, I, I'd always kept in touch with, um, you know, my high school friends, my college friends, my family, um, despite, you know, living away from them. And I just sort of lost touch with these people because my focus was so much more on drinking or if I wasn't drinking, like when I was next going to drink and like how much I was going to drink. And like, it was exhausting. I just didn't have time for keeping up with those connections and my life was a mess. So it was like difficult to have a conversation with people who were normal. So I had spent a lot of the last two years, you know, rebuilding connections and trying to, I mean, I haven't like gotten, I am working the steps. I have not gotten to like making amends yet, but I still have like tried to, you know, like say I'm sorry and talk through some things with people and to sort of heal. So I was just going to say that like with also along with like connecting with other people, I feel like I just put more time and was more present in the people around me. I mean, I... I mean, I like enjoyed, I have enjoyed being a parent again. And, you know, I have to say like through the stay at home orders, like I didn't complain about homeschooling and, um, you know, my kids and all that. Cause I really enjoyed the extra time that we had together. And I feel like it's, they too were pushed aside when I was drinking. Cause that was sort of not always knowingly, but it was just sort of my top priority. And so, you know, I'd like rush to get them in bed so I could drink. And now I really can like sit back and actually enjoy what is in front of me and happening around me.